If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? It has been 20 years, Holy One, since we watched the Twin Towers collapse and the until then impenetrable Pentagon catch fire and the field burn in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. It has been 20 years since we suffered the death of almost 3,000 lives, many of those leaving behind children who were so young they never got to know their parents. Oh, the grief of it. We have tried to cling to the promise that those who mourn shall be comforted, but we do not feel comforted these 20 years. Perhaps that is because we never let ourselves walk in the shadow of grief, for in the words of Valerie Kaur, it is impossible to grieve and prepare to kill at the same time. We did not trust you to walk with us through the valley of death. We thought we could take the road of revenge and retribution, but it was actually and always a rut. Draw us up from this desolate pit, Holy One, as you did the psalmist, out of the miry bog and set us on a rock, making our steps secure. With deep, deep longing we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. 
So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us then so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, Give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you... That was the end of the reading. <laughs> it just sometimes you're just so engrossed in it. So we'll just do that last line again for dramatic effect. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Here ends the reading <laughs> from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. The opening verses of the text today make it sound like Jesus is playing hide-and-seek with the people. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And I'll confess to you that from the preacher's perspective, I get it. Because people think we only work one day a week. They be trying to tell the preacher everything that happened in the last six days before worship starts. Y'all, quit it. <laughs> and if, like me and many of the pastors I know, Jesus was also an introvert, whew, I get it, Jesus. It's not that we don't love people. We just need at least 42 minutes of absolute silence after church on Sundays. This is a lot of performative extroverting. I really do think Jesus just wanted a liturgical nap. But even if we cut Jesus some slack, that the people would need to hunt for him seems decidedly un-Jesus-y. And this is compounded by Jesus' response at being found. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because I fed you. I, Jesus sounds a little snarky here. He, he accuses the crowd of being interested in him not for his sparkling personality or spectacular preaching, but because he fed them the day before. And, and you know that story. We didn't read it, but it was just a few verses in front. A large crowd had gathered. The text says 5,000. And by the end of the teaching day, Jesus realizes the people are hungry, but there isn't a Costco for miles around. While the disciples are scratching their heads, a little boy tugs on Jesus' arm and offers his five barley loaves and two fish for the good of the whole. And despite this being the only offer, the disciples are unimpressed. But Jesus blesses the loaves and the fish, and somehow, through the shared blessing, everyone ate as much as they wanted, and there were leftovers. So, of course, the people would come to Jesus. That's how our bodies 
work. Being fed yesterday doesn't mean you aren't hungry today. Taking into account the socio-historical context, one could describe the entire empire as a food desert for anyone who wasn't Roman. These people didn't know where their daily bread was going to come from, and we know about this. Oklahoma is the fifth hungriest state in the nation. If anyone is going to be sympathetic about this situation, it should be Jesus, right? The folks in front of him are hungry all day, every day. Why is he giving them a hard time? And, and what's worse than him being sort of unsympathetic is that he sounds holier than thou about it. You are not looking for me because you saw signs, but because you're hungry? It's as if he wouldn't have been so grumpy if they had been looking for him for the right reasons, the spiritually pure reasons. But we need to back up a little more to get that part of the story. Back in verse 15 of this same chapter of John, we learn that after Jesus fed the 5,000, the crowd was, as the text says, about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus caught a ride to the other side of the lake to get away from them. But he can't get away because they follow him. And, you know, we want to say, be careful what you wish for, Jesus. Like, take up your cross and follow me, but not like that. But it's because Jesus recognized what was happening. He recognized this impulse people have to, to think that if we just have the right person in charge, they will fix everything and we won't have to worry about a thing. This has been a human struggle for a very long time, so long, in fact, that we can trace a powerful anti-imperial thread that runs through Scripture. When the ancient Israelites demanded a king, they were, according to what God said to Samuel, rejecting God's place as God. And there would be consequences, not because God would throw a temper tantrum, because, but because that's what happens in imperial systems. The people were warned that a king would force their children to serve in the military and would appropriate the best of their crops and livestock for his own. And, to quote the text, you yourselves will become the king's slaves. All that does, in fact, happen, and the salt in the wound is that the people are eventually ruled by someone else's king. Fast forward to the time in our story, and once again, the people are trying to make a king for themselves, and they are willing to give up freedom and agency for King Jesus. They think, based on the feeding the day before, that Jesus will, to borrow a line from Hoover, put a chicken in every pot and place the whole nation in the silk stocking class. At first glance, it seems like Jesus might be buying into the hype, reading his own press. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And it is at this point that we can get a little sideways with the text. To believe in Jesus has a fairly particular connotation in this part of the country. It usually involves walking down an aisle and saying magic words. 
Most churches have a We Believe page on their website, so you can know exactly what it is you have to believe in order to belong about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, what women can and cannot do, who is going to heaven and who is going to hell, who is worthy of receiving communion. And these beliefs are held up as what save us. Reverend Molly Bolton, though, reminds us that the Greek word that gets translated as believe in the Gospel of John is more active than just agreeing to a set of ideas about who Jesus is. Believe, in Greek, involves a doing of belief, a walking in faith, of taking risks in the name of Jesus. It is an active commitment. So when Jesus says, believe in me, Jesus is urging them and us to look to a deeper solution for daily bread than appointing a new king. Jesus is not interested in that kind of higher office. He is not interested in taking over, ruling, or leading a, or not, or leading a violent insurrection. Jesus is resisting recruitment into the imperial framework for Jesus has something much more life-giving in mind, a way of life. He's asking them to believe that a new way of doing things will make things right, will make them whole. And because believing means doing, then he says, go and do likewise, not go and believe. So go, heal on the Sabbath, interrupt stonings, offer a cup of cold water. Yes, everyone should have their daily bread, but it will not come through a warrior king, but because we have been forgiven our debts as we forgive our debtors. We hear the strategy for bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth in Jesus' teachings. Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give your cloak and your coat. It is not a king who will make things right, but a culture shift away from an eye for an eye or repaying evil with evil. Thus, to believe in Jesus is to trust his strategy enough to live into it Intellectual assent to a set of statements has little transforming power. It is in the doing that our hearts are reborn and our world is reshaped. We, of course, are not demanding a king here in America, even though we almost ended up with one in 2016. But we so regularly act as if our one and only job is to elect the next savior. Joe will fix it, Marco will fix it, Kamala will fix it, Mitch will fix it, Pete will fix it. And yes, it does matter who sits on the other side of that desk. They can make things harder or easier. But the only way we'll ever get close to getting everyone their daily bread is if we overhaul the system, but that's going to take some doing, and we're a little out of practice. As activist and author Grace Lee Boggs said, the will of too many Americans has been to pursue private happiness 
and take as little responsibility as possible for governing our country. As a result, we have left the job of governing to our elected representatives, even though we know that they serve corporate interests and therefore make decisions that threaten our biosphere and widen the gulf between the rich and the poor, both in our country and throughout the world. In other words, even though it is readily apparent that our lifestyle choices and the decisions of our representatives are increasing social injustice and endangering our planet, too many of us have wanted to continue going our merry and not so merry ways, periodically voting politicians in and out of office, but leaving the responsibility for policy decisions to them. Our will has been to act like consumers not like responsible citizens. And in this context, as Christians, we have to decide whether we will follow Jesus, which involves giving up the idea that someone else will make change for us. We do this work as a matter of faith, or to use the words from scripture as a matter of belief, belief in the Jesus strategy. Any statement of our beliefs are inextricably linked with action and risk-taking in his name. We believe it would be better to drown in the depths of the sea than to put a stumbling block before any of our little ones. So we will wear our masks for as long as it takes. This is how we put the last first. We believe that violence begets violence, so we will not repay evil with evil. This is how we stop endless wars before they start. We believe that the Sabbath was made for humans, so we will insist on regular rest and make sure others are able to take regular rest. This is how we get out from under the yoke of unchecked capitalism and create something more equitable. We believe in the resurrection, so we will practice it in relationships that are broken, when hope is hard to find, when someone is on our last nerve, when we have not been our best selves, this is how we will, they will know we are followers of the way, by our refusal to let death have the last word. We believe, so let's go and do. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.